Well, we've been in a, a four-week series together that we're calling Beginnings, in which we've been looking at four of the great beginnings in Genesis 1 and 2, the beginning of creation, the beginning of humanity, the beginning of community, and today we're turning to look at the beginning of work, which is really all about what is our relationship with the creation that God has put us in. And so I'm really excited to introduce to you our preacher today, David Bailey, who's a, a, a familiar friend um, to many of you. David's preached here number of times before. Um, and David is the, one of my dear friends, and he's a, the founder and director of Erebon, which is a local mission partner of Third, that seeks to equip nonprofits and churches for cultural intelligence and for the work of cultural reconciliation. Um, David's a great leader in our city and our nation in this work, and he has a whole lot of really awesome things to teach about what does it mean to be culture makers uh, with the stuff of the earth that God has given us. So our scripture readings are from Genesis 1 and 2, and then from Revelation 22. You'll find them on page 11. And I'm going to pray as we go to God's Word. Father, we're so grateful for the Word of God, which we need to shine light into our dark hearts and our dark world. Equip us now by the Spirit. Bless your servant David and all of us, that we might not just hear your Word, but respond to it with obedience and love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear God's Word. First from Genesis 1. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the, in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then Genesis 2.15, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And then finally, from the last book in the Bible, Revelation 22, verse 1 and 2, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing... Twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Was well, glad to be with you all again. It's been a while since I've um, I've been here, but I hope um, you didn't forget that uh, preaching from my cultural context is a dialogue, not a monologue. So, you know, if you can get an amen every now and then, that'd be great. <laughs> At least the Presbyterian, mm, be good, all right? <laughs> so, <clears throat> I'm really glad that y'all are doing a series on beginnings, because beginnings are really important. Um, like, even, like, how we see the Bible begins and, like, how the gospel, the good news begins, is really important how we engage with the world. So, if you think about it, if, we, if you are a Christian that believes that the Bible starts in Genesis 3 with the fall, that we're sinners and uh, uh, need God's grace, um, then the way that we engage the world will be um, based on the fact that we just see that our, the, our primary thing is to save sinners. But if you start the Bible the way that Genesis uh, 1 actually starts, is that the world was good and beautiful and whole, and then there was a fall. And depending on how you 
read the Bible depends on how you will engage with the world. Now, here's an opportunity for us to practice a little bit of uh, uh, response. Now, can you remind me, how does the Bible start? In the beginning, what? God. Oh, come on now. All right, let's do it one more time. In the beginning, what? God created. Yeah, God created heavens and the earth. So you got to think about this. Like, before God decided to reveal himself as a judge, before God decided to reveal himself as a, uh, a king, but God, before God decided to reveal himself as a ruler, God decided to reveal himself as an artist. And when you look at Genesis 1, it's not uh, uh, a scientific document that's uh, for or against uh, um, creation or evolution. What it is, is a poem. It's a poem of a creative process uh, that God did to show us how the world was created. And so he, he took things out of order and put it into order, and he made the sun, and he made the moon, and he made the sky, and he made the land and water, and it was uh, the fish and the birds and the animals. And he said it was beautiful, it was diverse, and it was good. God did this for five days. And then on the sixth day, he said, let us make uh, humanity, mankind, our image of likeness, and as both male and female Together is the reflection of the unity and diversity that we see in who God is. And so when God created that, he said it wasn't just good, but it was very good. And Genesis 26 and 28, when Corey just read, he said God gave a commandment. And what's really interesting that this commandment is before God said, be holy, before God said, um, uh, um, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not murder. God said, be creative, create culture. The way, the way that is, it says, be fruitful, be multi- multiply, and subdue the earth. That's another way of saying, create culture. Now, if you don't believe me, just keep on reading the Genesis 2. Because in Genesis 2, God formed uh, humanity out of the, the uh, um, uh, um, dust and he began to breathe life into it. And once God breathed life into Adam, Adam got up, and there was this beautiful garden called the Garden of Eden that was there. And in this garden, you know, God puts the right in the middle of the garden and says, what I want you to do is cultivate and tend this garden. Now, why in the world would God have Adam cultivate a garden that was already good? There wasn't weeds because there wasn't any death. But God wanted Adam to continue to cultivate and maintain goodness. And so one of the things that I want to share with you all today is I want us to, I'm going to be preaching from the subject of when we see the gardener. See, when we see the gardener in Scripture, it will open us our eyes up to see a lot. Adam's first call was to be a gardener, to cultivate and maintain goodness. It doesn't matter what your job is. Your job is to be a gardener. Your vocation is to be a gardener. So, like, you could be a teacher, and your, your job isn't just to educate kids to be able to read so they can get a job. Like, you, you're a gardener in that situation. So, you're supposed to be cultivating young people with wisdom and cultivating with the kind of virtue and character that's needed uh, uh, for flourishing. You could be a uh, garbage man or woman, and, you know, your, your job is to actually uh, cultivate people um, in an environment so that public health can flourish. Even lawyers are supposed to cultivate goodness. 
the way that we engage with the world as Christians is very, very different because we need to look through the lens as gardeners. Now, God just didn't give Adam the only job of being a, a, a gardener. God made these animals out of dust, and he gave these animals to, to Adam, and he said, hey, whatever you name them, that's what it will be. Now, I'm pretty sure Adam had a conversation with God. It was like, God, you did the hard work. Why don't you just finish the job? Name the animals. But it was very important to God that Adam was a co-laborer and a partner with him and how the world ran. See, to be human is to be creative and to be culture makers and, and, and to be gardeners, to be people that maintain and cultivate goodness, but it's also for us to create culture. See, when you name things, it becomes a part of what the culture is. Uh, the way that uh, Andy Cropton's book, Culture Making, says is that culture is um, what we make of the world, like the materials that we make of the world, and what we make sense of the world. And so everybody is a culture maker. You know, Adam, when he saw the snake, said, oh, this looks so good to, to ride on and has four legs and like a, 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 some kind of like mane, and uh, we should call that a horse. And it's like, okay, this thing has like a tusk and it's rough uh, skin and a little, you know, short little tail and it's really huge. Okay, this is going to be an elephant. And this thing right here is like very, very pesky. Must be a mosquito. And he like, he named them. Well, guys, what we make matters. What we make and what we do throughout the week matters. It mattered in Genesis 1 and 2, and it also mattered in Revelation 21 and 22. At the end of the Bible, we see that the, John has a revelation. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and it came together. And see, the old has passed away, and all things have become new. And what's really important to understand, it's not that John saw, like, the earth, the current earth, um, just kind of blew up and fell in the flames, and there was a new heaven that came. No, what it says is that, like, the, the kingdoms of this world uh, uh, became somehow the, the kingdom of God, and they were like something just kind of came together. And you see that the kings of this world, uh, what they do is they bring their glory into the kingdom of God. Now, you got to ask yourself the question, what's the glory of a king? Well, if you're the emperor of China, it's going to be the Great Wall of China. You know, if you're the pharaoh of Egypt, it's going to be probably the Great Pyramids or the, the uh, um, Sphinx. And if you're um, a president of the United States, it's going to be an Apple product, you know? <laughs> and, and you bring that to the King of kings and Lord of the lords and says, the glory that we receive is actually your glory. So what we make matters both in the garden and, and it matters in the city of God. You know, John saw this and he recorded this in Revelation 22 and 1 through 2. He says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, a clear as a crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, and down the middle of the great street of this city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. See, it's really important for us to see this garden metaphor 
as, as, as how God has called Christians to engage the world. The garden matters in, the, in the, the beginning and the garden matters in the end. It's something about what we're doing is supposed to be for the healing of the nations. As a matter of fact, when, when Jesus um, was teaching his disciples to pray, they said, hey, how do we pray? They said, pray uh, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, another way of saying that is like, let the city of God that is in heaven be the city of God that's here in Richmond. And every day when we pray this prayer, um, we are to be people that's kind of cultivating uh, um, some level of the city of God and the goodness that's supposed to come in the coming age. Like, Lord, let that be so here in Richmond, Virginia. I felt like that was good enough for an amen, but, you know, it's good <laughs> So, like, depending on what your vocation is, it's kind of sometimes hard for you to see yourself as a gardener. Like, you know, and I think artists tend to kind of see this a little bit as people that need to, like, kind of cultivate and maintain goodness. To kind of not only just say what is, but what ought to be. But whatever your vocation is, that's what you really should do. You should be a person that says, like, this is what is, but this is also what ought to be. And we want to be people that cultivate and maintain goodness. Um, there's this uh, famous artist by the name of Mako Fujimori. He's a Japanese artist that um, is a Christian that um, has really done pretty well in the secular art space. And, you know, that tends not to be, secular art spaces tend not to be a place uh, where there's a lot of Christians. And so um, he also is kind of in this place in the Christian world where they're like, why would you be an artist? And they don't really understand what the point of, of like, why don't you be like a missionary or a pastor? And one question I oftentimes ask people, who has more influence on cultures, uh, pastors or artists? Because artists are out there cultivating culture. And so he wrote this book called Culture Care. And the idea of culture care is he's really trying to help Christians who really see the lens of the Bible through a Genesis 3 uh, kind of way that the world is about sin and, and, and uh, um, saving people's souls for the afterlife away from sin. And, and, and Mako is a committed evangelical and believes in sin, but he's like, the Bible doesn't start that way. The Bible starts with the world being whole and good, and, and it's gotten broken. And so the way that we should engage is, is like, like a gardener, where we're cultivating and, and we, we are taking care and engaging in culture care. We're nurturing things. And he gave, like, three ways for us to, like, look at how we can engage with um, uh, culture care. He says that we need three kinds of capital. One capital is social capital. We all have relationships. We're, like, interconnected people that have relationships that we can kind of, uh, we're kind of building up capital relationally, and we can kind of cash that in to, uh, uh, socially to, to try to do something for the common good. Well, you just can't only just have friends. You actually got to create cultural artifacts. And so, so there's some kind of like something that needs to come out of these relationships that's going to be a, a lasting thing that's going to help bring about some redemption and restoration in the world. So you need to engage in some kind of creative capital. You got to have people that are bringing their creativity to this to make something into the world. But 
all this stuff just doesn't happen on its own. You actually need some economic capital to make this work. And, and different ones of us have different kinds of biases and bits and gifts and, and things that we bring to the table. And so he says as Christians that are people that believe in the creation, fall, redemption, and restoration, we need to bring all of these gifts into our vocation. And we need to commission artists and, 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 and business people and, and lawyers and um, people who are uh, restaurant uh, uh, workers and folks that are at grocery store people to ask Christians to say, like, hey, let's care about culture and be gardeners in our society. Praise God for that. We're working on it. <laughs> By the end of the sermon, you'll be able to get to uh, be like a Baptist church, all right? So, like, <laughs> so, you know, I want to give a historical illustration of, like, how this worked and, and, and where there uh, was a group of people that said, like, had some imagination for what could be in their city. There's this guy named W. Du Bois. Du Bois was not a Christian. But he was somebody that had imagination. He was seeing what was going on this time. Like, he, you know, this is around um, 1910, probably about 50, 60 years after, um, no, about three, 30, 40 years after um, emancipation and slavery. And he's like, hey, the, what's going on in the black community is uh, uh, really challenging. And, and, and like how that is um, white and the black communities are engaging with one another. Um, that's really challenging. We actually need to do something about this. He was the first um, African-American to graduate with a degree in sociology from um, Harvard. We had another guy that was a friend of his who also had a PhD from Harvard. He was a Rhodes Scholar by the name of Elaine Locke, and he wrote this book called The New Negro Movement. And he just said, hey, we, we need to have an imagination of what could be, like, because we don't need uh, um, African-Americans to kind of see themselves as slaves anymore. We, we need to see them as something else. And what this became is what we know as the Harlem Renaissance. Because what they said is not enough for us as academics. Uh, it's not enough for us as theologians. It's not enough for preachers just to proclaim what ought to be. But we actually need to embody this into something. And so what he did was he, they called Langston Hughes up and Zora Neale Hurston and Lawrence Paul Dunbar and they said, hey, can y'all start writing some stuff and create some cultural artifacts? And these are things that we have today. And then they called some other friends up, like Duke Ellington and Cab Calloway and Billie Holiday, and said, hey, can you create some songs and some music? And they, um, because they were in these different social circles, they um, called guys like um, Harmon Williams and Carl Van Vesten and Mo Gale. And Mo Gale was a Jewish guy that uh, owned the Savoy, which was a dance club and party. And they had, they created an opportunity where entrepreneurship and creativity and uh, um, social uh, capital could begin to make Harlem flourish. And it became a flourishing city. It became a flourishing community. It's like, what if there was some imagination for the people of God to begin to do something like this. Like, what if we got some imagination for our city for something like this? You know, I see a, a seed of that even in how God has worked at Easton Fellowship and the way things are going to Churchill. See, it's important to understand Churchill is a gentrifying neighborhood, and it's a place where 
um, people for economic reasons, for the bottom line, the economic reasons is trying to, trying to uh, uh, make about change. But what if the people God got together and tried to do it for the bottom line of the kingdom of God? And so there were some Christians that, that, that like, renovated the Robinson Theater. And at that time, you know, Corey and Pastor Don and, and, and some of us were around, and we said, like, hey, let's be a spiritual community and, 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 and kind of pull this stuff together. But there wasn't enough economic resources within that community to be able to help make things flourish. And so there are some people that came and partnered in that way. But then we also realized that, you know, part of the challenge of, of, of gentrification is not only economic displacement, but cultural displacement. And so we needed to, to, as Christians, to begin to try to write and create a new narrative. And so what we did is we created, uh, through Arabon, we created this, this um, uh, urban songwriting internship. And if you see the person with red pants on, she might look a little familiar. <laughs> this is Brooke Winters in her year that she was an intern. And began to develop some folks, and we worked on writing songs that would be songs of, of reconciliation. And we end up creating urban doxology, which is a hybrid of the, the, the old and the new, a hybrid of, of, um, of, of, of what kind of what is and what could be. You know, this is something I think that every believer needs to participate in, to begin to discover what is it that God's calling you of how you're supposed to be the gardener. And see, here's the challenge. Like, the reality is there is a thing called the fall. So, so, so because of the fall, your physical job, um, uh, your ministry, uh, your business, it's not going to be easy to birth anymore. That's not an easy thing. That's part of the fall. And because of the fall, there are going to be hierarchical relationships that are going to be oppressive that you've got to figure out how to navigate and work through. And because of the fall, you know, uh, fruitfulness is going to be hard. You're going to labor and labor, and sometimes things aren't going to be as fruitful as it was in Genesis 1 and 2. But here's the thing. There is hope because Jesus spent a little time in a garden. He spent a little time in a garden called Gethsemane. And in Gethsemane, he was wrestling with God. He, his, he knew that his assignment was to break the curse that was going on, but it was going to cost him something. It was going to cost him something. It was going to cost him uh, um, a loss where he was going to disappoint his friends. He was going to disappoint his family. And it, it was going to cost him a, a painful death. But Jesus, in the midst of his tears and distress, said, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. And this is a lesson for us because if we're going to cultivate goodness in the world, it's going to, we're going to have to have our own garden of Gethsemane where we say, not thy will, but thy will be done. And here's the thing for the Christian. What's exciting about when we see death and when we see um, things not working out the way that we wanted to work out, it's okay because death is not the only answer. There's a thing called the resurrection. And their sister Mary Magdalene was in the, by the tomb one day, and she was just crying and weeping and mourning about Jesus, and, and she didn't see Jesus there. And there was this man that she thought was a gardener. She thought it was a gardener. It was actually Jesus, but she was actually right because it was the second gardener. It's the second gardener that had resurrection power to be able to cultivate goodness and maintain uh, uh, goodness and cultivate goodness. 
It was the second gardener that once she realized that, she said, hey, let me tell you about, uh, uh, tell my friends about this resurrected Jesus that is here to bring about the change that is needed that will help us to get to the city of God. It was the second gardener that came to her friends and breathed on them again and filled them with the spirit like the way he did in the Garden of Eden so they could be ready to do the work that is necessary to bring God's kingdom on earth. See, people of God, when you see the second gardener, you will realize that God has an assignment for you and that he will fill you with the spirit and you can operate out of resurrection power versus your own strength to feed your family. See, there is something way more that God wants for us than for us to just take a paycheck and feed a family. God wants us to be part of cultivating goodness. And so your assignment might be as a person to offer your vocational creativity. Your assignment might be God might have anointed you to, to make a ton of money. And so it's not just so you can only have pleasures for you and your family or to set your family up for generations, but to cultivate goodness, uh, to bring God's kingdom to our city. And you might have some friends and networks. You might say, I might not be skilled. I might not necessarily have a lot of money, but I got some friends and some networks that God just doesn't want me to use for my own pleasure, but for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. People of God, you got resurrection power to be the kind of gardener that God's calling you to be. So, you know, as we close, what I want you to do is spend time, some time, um, go to page 11. And if you would, try to find a pen or something like that and spend some time with the Holy Spirit asking these three questions. What kind of creative capital and vocational assets do I have that can be used for God's kingdom in our city. Ask yourself the questions, what social capital and relational assets do I have that can be used for God's kingdom in our city? What economic capital and valuable assets do I have that could be used for God's kingdom in our city? Everybody has something in their inventory that could be used for God's kingdom to come in our city. If you would, just take a moment, and um, Corey's going to come up and close this out in prayer. But take a moment and write some, some thoughts down on what comes down. Father, thank you that you've given all of us um, resources through our daily work, whether we are stay-at-home parents or bankers, whether we're teachers or mechanics, whether we are um, artists 
or preachers. Thank you that all of us have a part to play in the cultivation of creation. And I pray that this week, because we are reconciled to Jesus, we would recognize the part we have to play in seeing your kingdom come in Richmond and the kingdom come on the earth as it is in heaven. And that we would partner with you in doing our everyday work for your glory. We entrust all of these things to you and pray you would use them in Jesus' name. Amen.